today's scripture is Mark 10, 35 through 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning as we worship God, and uh, this is part of how we serve God. We, we worship together. I want to thank you uh, for having me here. It's great to be here in person. Last time it was virtually, so you guys saw me and my wife, Carrie Ann, but we didn't get to see you, so it's great to be here. I want to thank Trinity also for your generous partnership with Servant Church. Um, because you give, we are able to serve others in the inner city of San Diego in Jesus' name. So I just want to thank you for that. Uh, I want to thank you also for your prayers. Um, you guys are fantastic in praying for us and asking us for specific prayer requests, requests which is awesome. So thank you so much for that. Um, we appreciate you, and uh, even though our community and the families we serve don't know you, they appreciate you as well. I actually got back to uh, San Diego last night. I think it was around 11 o'clock at night. Uh, we had our first camp, uh, day camp, for our youth outreach. We don't have a youth group at church. We have a youth outreach to the community, and these are all community kids. The majority of them don't come to church yet, um, and we took them up to Palomar Mountain. Some of you guys know where that is. Um, it was awesome, and for most of the kids, it was their first time in the mountains, first time at a camp like that, and we got to share Jesus with them. And on the ride back, it was awesome to hear them say, can we do this again? Can we um, have it be two or three days? Can we do this in the winter? And one of the sweetest things um, that the kids asked me, one of the kids asked me last night was, uh, Pastor Chris, can I get baptized? And he said, I, I want to do it next week on <laughs> my birthday. I said, well, we're going to slow down a little bit because we need to ask your parents first. Um, his parents don't come to church, but he wanted to be baptized. So um, I share that with you just to let you know that you guys are partnering with us. And uh, we're so very thankful for that. Um, today we're going to talk about greatness and the way to greatness or uh, as the sermon title says, how to be great. Uh, the pursuit of greatness is a, is a very human thing. It's a deep, deep desire that we all have. In fact, it's actually how par, uh, a part of how God made you and how God made me. The pursuit 
uh, of greatness comes because God himself is great. And so when he created you and he created me in his image, he made us to be great as well. So the problem isn't that we want to be great. The problem is how we choose or try to be great. Our world and our own self-centeredness are constantly telling us that to be great means that we have to be greater than others. We have to be better than everyone else. We have to be faster. We have to be stronger. We have to be smarter and prettier and wealthier than other people in order to be considered a great person, in order to be noticed, in order to be loved, in order to be admired, in order to be desired. This obsession with always winning in life as if all of life was a competition. This obsession is expressed well in the classic 90s song called The Distance by a band called Cake. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it because actually the singer doesn't sing. He just kind of, it's more like a spoken word thing. But let me read to you some of the lyrics. Maybe I can get the drummer up here again. Uh, reluctantly crouched at the starting line, engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up, churning and burning. They yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank, fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup. But he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. She's all alone in her time of need because he's racing and pacing and plotting the course. He's fighting and biting and riding on his horse. He's going the distance. The song is about a motorcycle racer. Um, but it applies, I think, to all of us. Of constantly going and being obsessed by being number one. And when we're not number one, we can't get off the racetrack. We don't want to get off the racetrack. We want to be better. We want to be great. In today's passage, two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, are obsessed with being great by being greater than others. In fact, from the other Gospels, Matthew uh, and Mark and, and, and Luke, we find that all of Jesus' disciples had the same obsession. They repeatedly argued with themselves about which one was the greatest. It comes up actually even uh, the night before Jesus was going to die for them. He's having dinner with his disciples. He chose to have that last meal with his disciples. And in the middle of the meal, this topic comes up again. Among themselves, they're asking who is the greatest. They want to know where they rank on the list of greatness. In today's passage, uh, the issue of greatness comes up again. It's about middle or close to the, actually close to the end of Jesus' ministry. In these verses, we're going to look at three ways to greatness. Three ways to greatness. One is self-entitlement. The other is supremacy. 
And the final one is service. The first and second way uh, of greatness, self-entitlement and supremacy are false and they are self-centered. And it's the third way, service, that is the only true gospel-centered way to greatness. Let me pray for us and then we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we, we thank you that in the lives of even Jesus' disciples, Father, we see ourselves in them. In their faults and their weaknesses, we see ourselves. And we also see you, Father, and we see how you can change us. Father, this morning we pray that we wouldn't leave this place the same way that we came in. We pray that your spirit would change us. We pray that you would open up our ears, our minds, and our hearts most of all to be changed by you. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for being here with us. And we thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, go ahead and start talking first about self-entitlement. This is the first false and self-centered way to greatness. Self-entitlement is the belief that you deserve privileges and power more than other people. Some signs of self-entitlement include self-centeredness uh, self and narcissism, selfishness and envy, unwillingness to be equal or at the same level with others, much less beneath them or below them, frequent anger and fits of rage, and even self-pity is a form of a self-entitlement, a symptom of it. We find all these traits on some level in James and John, and they believe two wrong-headed and wrong-hearted things. First, they believe that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to become an, an earthly kind of king with power and fame and wealth. And secondly, they believe that they deserve to be King Jesus' right and left-hand men when he becomes king. We have to remember that for James and John, this seemed like a very natural conclusion. This James and this John were actually Jesus' cousins. So they were his family. So right off the bat, right, they have this connection to the man who they think will become an earthly king. They are also among Jesus' super disciples, an elite group of 12 disciples that we now call apostles. And more than that, they are actually two of Jesus' three best friends with Peter. So it's natural that they would think that they deserve to be Jesus' left and right-hand men. Unfortunately, their closeness to Jesus and their proximity to his power only inflate their ego. In one way, James and John choose to be great. To be greater than others is through self-entitlement. Look at the request that James and John make in verses 35 and 37. Verse 35, they come up to Jesus and say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. In verse 37, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. 
Do you notice how there's no question mark in what they say? There's not even a please. I think uh, it's important for us to, to, to see that they are not requesting greatness. They are demanding greatness of Jesus. And it would be easy for you and for me to be indignant like the other disciples. Indignant at James and John for, for demanding this of Jesus. But if we're honest with ourselves and if we're honest with God, we are not that different. We believe that we deserve to be great. We believe that the only way to greatness is through self-entitlement. The only way is to demand of God, even if we don't say it out loud, to demand personal positions of power and praise and privilege. This morning before we move on, do you see any signs of self-entitlement in your life this morning? How are you demanding that God make you great and greater than other people? That's self-entitlement. The second false and self-centered way to greatness is supremacy. Supremacy. Supremacy is the belief that you are intrinsically greater than others and that you need to have power and control over others in order to be great. It's been a crazy last year and a half, and the, this way to greatness, supremacy, has gotten a lot of national attention, especially as the U.S. is seeing all kinds of brazen and shameless white supremacist groups come out of the woodwork. Unfortunately, supremacy isn't limited to any skin color, any race, any one culture, it is actually in all of us. That's the scary part. It's in you. It's in me. It's part of our selfish, hateful, and hurtful human nature. We've all had that desire at some point to be above others and to somehow keep others beneath us at school, at work, in our community, and and yes, even at church, even at church, we are all trying to force our way to the top while making sure we force others down to the bottom. This is how Jesus describes this way of greatness in verse 42. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. In other words, the world says that in order to be great, you must get others, you must force others to recognize your greatness. You must control others, and then you must be over others and keep them down. And even though they were family, even though they were followers, even though they were friends of Jesus, James and John bought into this idea of supremacy as the way to greatness. In Luke chapter 9, verse 49, Jesus tells 
or John tells Jesus that he and the other disciples actually tried to stop someone from casting out demons in Jesus' name just because he wasn't one of them. He wasn't part of the group of 12 disciples. And then immediately afterwards in Luke 9, verse 54, James and John come up to Jesus and they ask Jesus if they can call down fire from heaven to destroy an entire village just because the residents of that village didn't welcome Jesus. It's no wonder that Jesus calls James and John the sons of thunder. In their minds and in their hearts, they believe that being great means being superior to others and controlling others by force. Sometimes we try to justify supremacy in our minds and our hearts by saying we are just competitive or we are ambitious. There's nothing wrong with being competitive or ambitious if, if our goal is to glorify God and to bring fame to his name. The problem, though, is that most of the time you and I are not competitive or ambitious for God. We're competitive and ambitious for ourselves. We believe we are superior to others and we must prove it to everyone else. This morning, let me ask you a couple other questions. Do you see any signs of supremacy in your own life? Do you believe that you are better and greater than others? Another question is, why do you feel like you have to control others? Why do you feel like you have to force them to acknowledge how awesome you are? Where is that coming from and why? Let's move on to the third way to greatness. This way of greatness is service. And it's the only true way to be great. It's the only gospel-centered way to greatness. In verse 43, Jesus first re- rejects and um, he he says to his disciples that uh, the, the false and self-centered ways of, of self-entitlement and supremacy are not for them. Verse 43, Jesus says, but it is not so among you. Another translation says, it shall not be so among you. Jesus says that as followers of him, self-entitlement and supremacy are not options for you and for me. They are not options. And then Jesus gives us the only real way to greatness when he continues in verse 43 and 44. Jesus says, on the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. Slave to all. Do you see how Jesus turns the world's ideas of achieving greatness upside down? Self-entitlement says that you have to be first, but Jesus says you have to be last. 
Supremacy says you must be high and above others, but Jesus says you have to be low. And while self-entitlement and supremacy say greatness is all about you, Jesus says real greatness is actually all about others. So what is service? What is service? Servant church, we talk a lot about serving and service. It's part of our name, right? We try to live that out all the time. But what is, what is service? Let me give you just a, a few ways to, to think about service. Service at its heart is love in action. Love in action. It is loving others so much that you actually do something about it. You, just, you don't just feel it or say it. You do something about it. It's giving yourself to others and giving up your time, your energy, your money, and even your success for the sake of others. Service is willingly and happily doing for others what they cannot do for themselves. And why, why is service the only gospel-centered true way to greatness? Why is this way to be great the better way, the best way? It's because service is Jesus' own way to greatness. See, Jesus didn't just tell us to be great by serving others. He actually does it himself. Look at verse 45. This is, I think, one of the most radical things Jesus ever said about himself. He says, for even the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, this is the gospel. In one sentence, this is the good news of Jesus. And here Jesus is basically saying that even as God, even as the Son of Man, he doesn't need for us to serve him in order to prove that how great he is. Despite being the only truly entitled and superior one, Jesus proves his greatness by serving others. By loving us so much that he did something about it. By giving himself up and sacrificing himself for us. By doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. This is our servant savior. This is the only one, he is the only one who can rescue self-entitled supremacists and change them into servants. I might have mentioned this last time I was here, but Jesus is the reason we've named our church Servant Church of San Diego. It's not Servant's Church in reference to us, it's actually a reference to Jesus. When we started, or we were hoping to start the, the church five years ago, and we looked into our inner city community, we saw how often our community has been exploited, how often they've been underserved and overlooked and, and kind of kept down and neglected. Not just by uh, city officials, but even by, by the gangs from within. 
We thought, how do we share the gospel with a community that has felt the weight of self-entitled people and supremacists for decades and maybe 100 plus years? I remember thinking, we need to show them a savior who's not like that. We need to show them a savior who came to serve, who came to be last and low for their sake. Some churches call themselves Christ the King. Uh, My wife comes from a church called Christ the King when she was little. We wanted to let our people know that Christ is servant, that he is our servant savior. It was Jesus' radical greatness that ultimately rescued and changed James. James, who for the sake of others, fearlessly went on to preach the gospel and ultimately died for it. James became the first apostle to be martyred. And it was Jesus' radical greatness that ultimately changed John as well. John, for the sake of others, wrote several books and letters in the New Testament. All of them about the greatness of Jesus. Not once, actually, did John, does John seek the spotlight in any of the books he wrote or mention himself even by name except in his last book, the book of Revelation, where John calls himself a servant of Jesus and a brother and a partner of other Christians. This morning, will you let Jesus save you by serving you? Do you believe you need his service to rescue and to change your life? And finally, will you serve others as Jesus has first served you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning again for your word. Father, we have confessed our sins already this morning, but... Father, we want to confess right now how often the signs and the symptoms of self-entitlement and supremacy are in our lives. In our actions, in our words, but especially in our thoughts and in our feelings, Father. Culture and politeness may restrain our selfishness and our hatefulness and hurtfulness, but Father, you see deep into our hearts. Father, we ask that you would forgive us. We don't ask forgiveness, Father, because we want to be great. We ask for forgiveness because we choose the wrong way, the false ways to become great. We ask, Father, that you would make us great like you are great. We ask that you would make us great like Jesus is great. We ask that you would make us servants and make us slaves of all. That the world might see Jesus through us and see a Savior who gave up his life as a ransom for many. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you that even now our Savior Jesus continues to serve us even though he's in glory. 
that even now he is sitting at your right hand and he is interceding on our behalf. We thank you that serving others was not just a gimmick for Jesus. It wasn't something he did just because he was here on earth when people were watching him. We thank you that our Savior continues to serve us even this morning. We pray in his name. Amen.